Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Well, let's get right down to it. Uh, let's talk about it. Bucks lose game three to the Raptors yesterday, 118-112 in double overtime. This should have been one of the most stressful games I've ever watched, one of the most nerve-wracking games I've ever watched. But honestly, I, I was kind of calm throughout the whole thing. I, I don't really know why. Two overtimes, the Bucks only had leads twice in this game, but still were right there, able to win it. And, and I wish I could come on right now and be upset about something and, and yell and rant. Or I wish I could come on and tell you how I I love the Bucks' chances moving forward and last night only proved further why the Bucks are a great team and yada, yada, yada. I, I wish I had something I don't know how I feel. I I have no clue. I don't know where I stand about last night's game. I know the Bucks are really good. I'm, I'm still going to pick them to win this series. But last night's game, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm taking away from it. I, if you boil it down, I don't know what the, the final product is. I, I wish I had a take. I wish I was upset. And I can rant and yell and, and get myself fired up about something. I, I wish I had a, a great point to make about how the Bucks, you know, played bad. And, and they're, they're still right there. And, and I like their chance moving forward. I just, I don't have a super strong opinion on this game. Now, most reactions from Bucks fans uh, that I've heard today, whether it's on Twitter or callers on stations here, uh, like with David Scrady this morning on WKTY or on Bill Michaels, there were two takes, right? There were kind of two reactions, and they were they were kind of opposites of each other, kind of different sides of the same coin. Number one, you have people saying, hey, you're never going to see the Bucks play that bad again. Giannis fouled out, and Middleton and Bledsoe were horrible, and 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 and. The Raptors still barely beat them. It still took two overtimes to sink this Bucks team, and we should feel great. Screw them. They're going to blow them out in game four. Last night only showed why the Bucks are great, because the Raptors played tremendous, and Kawhi Leonard played tremendous, and it still took two overtimes to beat a Bucks team that played just about its worst game in 2018-2019. Okay, so that's take one. That's probably the optimistic way to look at it. Now, the, the pessimistic way, and this is a take I've heard as well, is how did the Bucks not win that game? They had every opportunity to grab that game. They couldn't do it a dozen or so opportunities to, to come back and to take the lead and, and to run away with this game. But but no, they would get it close and then, and then they'd fall behind. And then they'd get close and they'd fall behind. They'd waste all these chances. And, and they should have won last night's game. And, and you only get so many playoff games and it's only a best of seven series and they should have won it, damn it. It doesn't matter how they played. They were right there and there's no such thing as a moral victory, et cetera, et cetera, right? So kind of two takes that I've heard. I really don't know which side of the aisle I fall on. Maybe as the show rolls on today, we can... We can figure it out together. This is the Wisco Sports Show uh, here on WK2I, always presented by Play It Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Regardless of the Bucks losing, I hope you had an awesome weekend. Uh, took in some Brewers baseball and in some playoff basketball as well. Enjoyed some of the, the warm weather as, uh, as we're moving closer to summer and closer to the NBA Finals, which the Bucks are trying to make. This has turned into a weird discussion, a weird argument, because most of Bucks fandom fell on the, the positive side of the aisle. We... we Took them two overtimes to beat a Bucks team that played horrible, and their starters were terribly inefficient. They turned the ball over, and they were poor from the free throw line, and, and we'll talk about all those details coming up here in a, in a few minutes. We played horrible. Raptors still need a double overtime to beat us. And then today, I'm on Twitter, 
uh, and I notice uh, the, the, the beat writer for the Raptors for The Athletic, Eric Kareen, tweeted this. Kyle Lowry and Danny Green, two of the, the, the starting guards for the Raptors, were asked, look, the Bucks didn't play well. Uh, how do you feel about last night's game? And their response was, well, we didn't play well either. Like, like this has turned into an argument about which team is playing worse, about which, which players are shooting worse, and about who can't make a shot and who's not contributing. Like, the argument has become... Well, the Bucks played horrible. They're never going to play that bad again. And then Raptors fans are saying, oh, Danny Green went one of nine or one of eight or whatever it was from three. He's not going to do that again. Like, we're arguing about who, who played worse, which is, which is backwards, which is contradictory, which is out of the ordinary of what we normally see. Look, I, I don't know if I fall on the positive side. I don't know if I fall on the negative side. When it comes down to it, the Bucs uh, still lead in the series 2-1. to one. They had some chances to win last night, and they didn't in a tough environment with some things going against them, and that's fine. I don't know if we need to spin it. I don't necessarily know if we need to, to use it to gas ourselves up or use it to tear ourselves down. I don't know if there's a point in that. Plain and simple, they're going to play again tomorrow night in Toronto before going back to Milwaukee for Game 5. Tomorrow's game is obviously going to be huge. The difference between a 3-1 series and a 2-2 series is huge. Just like last night, the difference between a 3-0 and a 2-1 is huge. These games in the middle of the series are, are very, very important, and the Bucks put the Raptors in this position, this must-win position, by going up 2 to nothing in the series. Next game or two are, are going to be huge in swinging the direction and the 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 uh, the momentum of this series, all of that. So these are games that we obviously have to pay attention to. But last night's game, I don't want to say it's a throwaway game, but I, I don't know if I have a super strong, impassioned, opinionated take. They lost. Let's talk about it. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. I see we're getting some texts. If you want to call in, talk Bucks and Raptors, I would love to have you. Also wide open on Twitter at Grant. And you can reach the whole station at WKTY. Last night's game came down to a couple of things. Now, if you want to try to spin them into positive things for the Bucks, that's fine. Go to town. I- I'm just going to say this is what happened. Last night for the Bucks, it was unreal. Uh, the bench was much more effective and much better than the starters. And we'll talk about that in specifics. We'll get into, you know, who scored what. And we'll get a little bit into the box score. But if you watch the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Basketball Reference uh, shared this. I, I had to dig this up. The Bucks starters last night were 19 of 69, which is a .275 shooting percentage. That's about 27%, right? The bench, on the other hand, shot 19 of 33, which is almost 60%. That's 57, 58%. It's a big difference. Now, the bench didn't take nearly as many shots, but the bench probably a little bit more selective, a little bit more picky and choosy, and operated just a bit more efficiently, turned the ball over less, yada, yada, yada. But uh, George Hill had a bounce-back game. Malcolm Brogdon continues to be great, and Pat Connaughton was great. Even though he only had eight points, the things that Pat Connaughton is able to do, even when he's not scoring the ball, getting rebounds, flying around, is, is always effective. Urson took a little bit of a step back last night. He only had two points. Tried to draw a couple of charges. Refs weren't willing to give him a couple last night. The bench outplayed the starters. That's what it comes down to. That was point number one. Now, I, I want to talk about the refereeing. This is my point number two. Look, the, the Bucks actually shot more free throws than the Raptors last night. So you might say, well, Grant, the Bucks got to the line. How could you complain about the officiating? Well, I'm not going to complain. It's not a complaint that I have. But, but I do think it bears mentioning that this game got very, very physical last night in the fourth quarter. Giannis taking a shot to the face from Danny Green which went uncalled. Uh, Marcus saw, I, I don't know how a, a, a seven-foot, couple-hundred-pound center gets away with flopping as much as he does. Marcus Gasol got a friendly whistle a couple of times. And by the way, Marcus Gasol sat with five fouls for, 
I believe the end of regulation and into and through both overtimes, he didn't foul out. Multiple drives going at him. Marcus all able to survive. Now, I don't think the Bucs did a good job of going at him, but we'll talk about that later. Couple whistles and a couple non-calls going the Raptors' way, and oftentimes we see that uh, go along with home court advantage last night. Toronto got lucky. That Kawhi Leonard double dribble that they missed on the fast break. Couple of things going Toronto's way, and and when both teams are playing poorly and shooting poorly, and it was a low-scoring game, you, you hear double overtime, you're probably thinking 150, 145. No, 118, 112 the final score. Refereeing's going to play into that at the end. Not about free throws. Not about free throws, but the non-calls and the calls that were called at the end uh, were tilted towards Toronto, and that's how games go sometimes. It's a factor, not an excuse, not a complaint, but a factor. Uh, and the final factor was turnovers. The Bucks turned the ball over, and a lot of them were live ball turnovers, which now give the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard room and time and space to run in transition. Now, the Bucs are good half-court defensively. They can use their length. They can set up. That's their strong suit. You don't want to give the Raptors a number advantage. You don't want to give them a head of steam in transition. A lot of live ball turnovers, especially from Giannis last night. Like I said, we'll get into the box score, but to just give you an idea, Giannis last night uh, had eight turnovers. Now, he only hit five field goals. Giannis only had 12 points last night. Too many turnovers. Too many wasted opportunities on offense and too many gifted opportunities to the Raptors last night on their offensive end, and especially those live ball turnovers, which now you got a team with a head of steam going right at the basket, a lot of times with a numbers advantage. Now they're tough enough to defend with the shooting and with the talent they have in Kawhi Leonard. You give them a numbers advantage, you give them room to run, and it becomes even more difficult. And that's just another part of what played into this loss last night, 118-112 in double overtime. If there was one word that I could use to describe last night's game it would be exhausting. And it was exhausting as a fan. I can imagine it was exhausting as a player, as a coach. All parties involved, it was exhausting last night. We'll go into more detail coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. Last night's game went to double overtime. The Raptors finally pulling away 118-112. We're getting close to 24 hours later. I'm still exhausted. I'm still tired after watching that game yesterday. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and we're talking the Bucks. Game three lost. They still lead the series two to one. A lot of talking points we got to get to. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you to Play It Again Sports, as always, for bringing the Wisco Sports Show to the airwaves here on WKTY. It was exhausting last night. That's the word I'm going with. I don't necessarily have a take on last night's game. A lot of people saying, hey, the Bucs played horrible. Still went to double overtime. We should feel great. They're going to run away with game four. Okay, that very well could be the case. I, I don't necessarily feel strongly about that. Some people saying, what a wasted opportunity. They went to double overtime. They played like butt. They had so many chances and they still couldn't win. We'd be up 3-0 right now. I think there's a little bit of truth in that too. I kind of fall right in the middle I'm just tired. I'm just exhausted. Last night's game took it out of me. It really reminded me of, and I can't take credit for this solely, because I saw it first brought up on Twitter by the friend of the show, Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network, UWL guy who joins this show from time to time and gives us some really awesome Bucks analysis. It reminded me of Cavs-Raptors game one of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Do you remember that game? It's kind of vague, and I've used it as a reference before in relation to this series when we've talked about it because... Last year, the Raptors played so well in Game 1. This is of the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James' Cavs. 
The Raptors played so well, and it finally felt for about three and a half quarters, finally felt like the Raptors matured. They grew up, and they're ready to beat LeBron James because we all know the Raptors have had their issues with LeBron and his Cleveland Cavaliers, and we thought, man, here we go. They've done everything right. This is the year, and they're going to win game one at home. And then Cleveland ties it up and forces overtime, and they run away with the game. Now, where I see similarities, or where I was hoping to see similarities last night and, and was seeing similarities until about last couple of minutes and into overtime where they ultimately lost is last year the Cavs didn't lead in that game until overtime when they took the lead for good and won it at the end by one point. The final score of that game last year was a one-point deficit, 113-112. The Cavs won in overtime. And I was thinking last night's game might turn out a lot like that. Raptors play well for the entire game. They're riding their home crowd. Bucks are just waiting, 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 and they'll come from the behind at the end of the game, take the lead and win, or, or tie it and go to overtime, which they did. They could have won in either overtime. They had opportunities. And it didn't turn out like that, but last night's game kind of felt like that to me. Like the Bucks, they, they were kind of dragging their feet, and they knew, okay, eventually we got to get it into gear, and we'll just wait until the end, and we'll come from behind and steal it. And that could have happened. The Bucks had opportunities to make that happen. It, it, it just didn't. The Bucks only led twice in the game yesterday at 2-0. <laughs> So they jumped out to a 2-0 lead, and then they fell behind, and then they didn't lead again until either the end of the first overtime or, or partway through the second overtime. I believe it was in the second overtime. Not that it matters. They led 105-103. So they had an opportunity, and they weren't able to get it done. The 2-0 the score is, is pretty non-meaningful. I'm not going to complain that they blew a 2-0 lead, right, uh, in the first minute or so of the first quarter. But you get my point. The Bucks never were in it last night. There were never lead changes. They're never going back and forth. The Bucs didn't lead by four and then fall behind and then go up. The Bucs were trailing the entire time. And part of the exhausting aspect of this game was the Bucs would be down by nine or 10 or 11. And then they'd go on a little bit of a run and they'd draw it to five. And you'd think, okay, here we go. And then they would fall behind again and they'd drop back down. And then a couple of minutes later, they'd make a run and pull it back. And you'd think, all right, here we go. They're putting it together, and then they'd fall back behind. And we got into the fourth quarter, and after we had done this countless number of times, probably two or three times a quarter, right? We get to the fourth quarter, and, I, and I'm looking at my friends who I'm watching the game, and I'm saying, this is it. As the Bucks pull closer, we're, we're a couple of minutes to play. I said, the Bucks don't have it in them to pull it close, fall behind, and then pull it close and win it. Like, like we're running out of time. We're running out of energy. There's only so many times you can surge. Like, I, I was a track runner in high school, right? I would run the mile, I'd run the two mile. And if you were sitting in second place and you were riding behind the first place runner, maybe you try to make a surge, you think, okay, here, I'm going to go for the pass. And then that that lead runner gives, gives a little burst and pulls away. And you think, okay, all right, not yet, and we'll wait. So maybe 200 meters later, maybe a lap later, you try again. Okay, they, they hit a surge again. They pull away and you think, okay, not yet. There's only so many times you can do that, right? It takes a lot of resilience, a lot of motivation for that second place runner, or in this case, the Bucks who were trailing in the game, to continually come back after being pushed down by the Raptors, right? You get it into five, you get it to four, three points, and then the Raptors would go on a little mini run, and now you trail by 10 again. It takes a lot of resilience and energy to continually bounce back, and it got to the point in the fourth quarter last night where I'm looking at my friends and said, this is it right here. They've pulled it to three. If they don't get it done here, they're not going to be able to get it done, period. It was tiring, and the Bucs, to their credit, were able to tie it, were able to force overtime, and continually fall behind and come back. But it's an exhausting way to play, and it's really difficult to win. And credit Toronto for continually having that surge in them to, to feel the Bucs on their heels, to use that track analogy, to hear those footsteps behind you and say, okay, I got to 
I got to put a little burst on, put some distance in. Kind of squash this second place runner down, right? And credit to the Raptors because they continually did it throughout the entire game and two overtimes, which is a marathon. Last night, another exhausting aspect of this game. Watching Toronto mix up the way they defend Giannis. Because when we watched... Detroit doesn't count. Let's skip over that. So when we watch Boston, <laughs> we're not going to give credit to Detroit. One, it was long ago. And two, that shouldn't have even been a series. Let's talk about the Celtics. They didn't really specifically guard Giannis with one player. Although Al Horford often started the party. But he was often met with a group of bodies, right? They didn't trap him. They didn't blitz him. But they would, they would just show a wall of bodies and they would turn Giannis away. And that's what the Raptors did through the first two games. The problem was perimeter players were hitting shots. Giannis was able to get to the foul line and still finish here and there. So that wall, which is the term that keeps getting used, which I find incredibly lame. Oh, Giannis has got to go up against the wall. Like That's what we're going to call it. Anyways, side note. Last night, the Raptors changed up that strategy. They went away from the wall of we're going to have the whole team kind of guard Giannis to... We're going to have Kawhi Leonard start, and we're going to send somebody else. And we're going to take those two players and 100% go in on him. 100%. We're not going to show. We're not just going to flash a hand or, or scoot over only to run back. No, no, no. These two players are going to all-out blitz Giannis, force him to pass the ball, force him to shoot the ball, or, like we saw a lot last night, Giannis had eight turnovers, cough up the ball or throw an ugly pass, right? Or, or, or charge into someone for a foul, right? And it made me think, uh, for those of you who watch Parks and Rec, it was on NBC. Uh, Ron Swanson, who's in that show, is one of my favorite TV characters of all time. And he had this iconic quote, which is funny, but very true. He, he told one of the other characters on this show, don't half-ass two things. Whole ass one thing. Okay? And I thought of that today. I'm doing my show prep. And I'm thinking about the defense they're playing on Giannis. Toronto said, screw it. We're not going to half-ass our defense on Giannis. We're not going to have four guys kind of guarding Giannis. We're going to send two, and we're going to send them all out. We're going to go all in, but we're only going to go all in with two guys, right? So a lot of times, last night, you saw Kawhi Leonard, who did a tremendous job guarding Giannis. And instead of having two other players kind of halfway scoot over, maybe stick an arm out, maybe just jump over only to jump back, no, no, no. They sent Marcus all dead in, like they were trapping at the end of a game or at a full-court press, right? Committing 100%, and that was a look that Giannis hadn't seen a lot. Boston was content to let Giannis try to run through four people who were in an area. And up until last night, Toronto was as well. And Toronto said, screw it, we're not, we're not going to let Giannis go against four people who are only kind of defending him. We're just going to commit two, and we're going to commit those two defenders 100%. And it worked really well last night. And on Giannis's best nights, he's able to pass out of a double team. He's able to get going full sprint into a crowd of people and at the last second kick a ball out, right? I don't think, and, I, and if you follow me on Twitter at Keystroker Grant, you'll know this. I tweet about this a lot. We undervalue and we underappreciate Giannis's passing because I think a lot of people watch him and they say, well, all you got to do is throw it to the open guy. I mean, you're drawing three people in coverage. You just heave it out. Somebody will catch it. They're all open. No, 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 no. Last night, Marcus Saul got caught under the hoop, tried to drive, met by a bunch of defenders, got caught off balance, and just threw the ball out back to the free throw line right into the hands of Eric Bledsoe for an easy two the other way. And I tweeted, I said, that right there, that's what Giannis makes look easy. That ugly play from Mark Gasol should teach people to appreciate Giannis's passing. And most nights, Giannis is able to effectively pass out of a crowd of people, 
right? Even going full speed, even up in the air, even on one foot leaning backwards, he's able to find that guy. Last night, he really struggled, and it led to eight turnovers. A lot of them live ball turnovers, which then gives Toronto just easy opportunities to run down the court and score. That played into it as well last night, the defense of of Toronto. And, And possibly the most exhausting, the most frustrating thing of last night was the free throw shooting for Milwaukee. And maybe it was something while you're watching, you kind of got in the back of your head, you're starting to think, man, Milwaukee's missed a lot of free throws. And I'm I'm, I'm watching with some friends, and I, and I look at my buddy, and I say, man, they missed a lot of free throws. I'm just sick to my stomach thinking about this game coming down to the wire, a one two-point game at the end, knowing that the Bucs have left that many points on the court. Now, at the time, I didn't check the box score. I didn't look. I didn't want to know how many free throws they'd missed. Well, turns out this game went to double overtime, so this was as close as game as you can get. And then I, I go to bed. I'm like, screw it. I'll think about this game tomorrow. It was frustrating. I was I was done watching sports for the night. I checked the box score today, and I see the Bucks shot what from beyond from from the three point or the the free throw line. They shot what last night. The Bucks shot 33 free throws. They missed nine of them. They shot 67 percent from the line. 22 of 33. That includes misses coming from Chris Middleton, who's normally automatic. A miss coming from Malcolm Brogdon, who's better than automatic. And Giannis shot two of seven from the free throw line last night. Like, you cannot miss that many free throws. Those come back to bite you. I I see Bob chiming in on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Giannis is starting to shoot free throws like Ethan Happ. Bob, even worse than that, the Bucs are starting to shoot free throws like the Badgers. And I will be damned if I sit here on May 19th, which was yesterday, and sit on the couch and have to feel like I'm watching a Badger game because we suffered through that this winter with all those missed free throws. Last night, I'm like, damn it, it feels like I'm watching a Badger game, and I hate it. And it's not just Giannis. It was Chris Middleton who struggled from the line, and Malcolm Brogdon who missed a key free throw late, and Eric Bledsoe who didn't shoot great from the stripe at all. Starters were bad, but they were very bad from the free throw line. And what it all comes down to, and I hate to be this, this old man, because you know there were, there were dads, there were grandpas everywhere last night and this morning saying exactly this. Well, if you just hit your free throws, it wouldn't have been a game. And I agree, Bucks would have won easily. And I hate to be that guy. But we talk about the defense on Giannis. We talked about how the, uh, the starters got outplayed by the bench and how Toronto definitely got the benefit of a call here, there, down the line and the way things shook over. And yeah, the Bucks turned the ball over too many, too many times. None of that would have mattered if they just made their free throws. Make five or six more free throws. And you win that game. It's all it would have taken. So I do feel just because of that, I know we're trying to figure out, well, should we feel good about the Bucs because they played bad and, and still went to double overtime? Or, or or should we feel good because they went to double overtime and played horribly? Or should we play bad, feel bad because they, they played bad and they still could have won? I, I'm leaning a little bit towards feeling frustrated because everything that went wrong, Giannis only scoring 12 points and fouling out and, and missing all those free throws, none of that would have mattered if they just would have hit those free throws. And today we could have been laughing. We could have been sitting here laughing saying... Toronto couldn't even win that game. The Bucs starters shot 19 of 69, and they're still talking about a game three win and being up 3-0 as the series moves on, continuing to to play in Toronto. So that's kind of the the side of the aisle I fall on. Had a great opportunity. All those things going wrong, just hit your free throws, it wouldn't have mattered. All it would have taken. One of the players who normally strokes all of their free throws, and it's automatic, of course, the 50-40-90, Malcolm Brogdon, I don't want to compare Malcolm Brogdon to other starters on the Bucs. I, I really don't think it's fair to compare him to anyone. I want to express my love. 
I, and I'll just come out and say it. I want to express my love for Malcolm Brogdon. Can we, we, we're going to talk about the Prez, the former Rookie of the Year, and what he's been able to do off the bench. Coming up next, you're listening to the Wisco Sports Show right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Blade Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. You can always stream live on our mobile app as well. A great way to listen when you're on the go, maybe when you're not in the car, you don't have a radio. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for joining me. Hope you had a good weekend regardless of this Bucks loss. I actually want to talk Brewers coming up in about 10 or 12 minutes. It was a love-hate relationship with the game of baseball, uh, and the Brewers came yesterday in Atlanta, and we'll talk about that before we say goodbye. Coming up in about 10 minutes. So if you're getting sick of Bucks, hold on. I promise I got some Brewers talk coming. Right now, I don't want to complain. I don't want to dwell on the bad. I don't want to dwell on the frustrating or the exhausting. I want to talk about something that no matter how the rest of this series goes, how the season goes, I will always feel strongly about, and that is Malcolm Brogdon. I I love Malcolm Brogdon so much, and I, and I don't mean to get emotional on air. I, I don't. I don't mean to, to, to fan out on air. I try very hard to, to not come across like an obnoxious fan. Malcolm Brogdon is possibly the most underrated player in the NBA. And I don't think that's a crazy take. I don't think that's a biased take because I've had friends, I've had people I've talked to who are fans of other teams who say the exact same thing. Last night, Malcolm Brogdon was a part of that bench that outplayed the starters. If you missed it at the start of the show, I shared this uh, this little nugget from basketballreference.com. The Bucks starters last night shot 19 of 69, which is 27.5%. The Bucks bench... Shot 19 of 33, which is almost 58%. Now, don't get me wrong, the, the bench has some luxuries that the starters don't. They don't have to take as many shots, they don't have to play as many minutes, and they don't have to play against as good of competition. Right? And I'm not discounting any of that. But therein lies some of the problem of last night is the bench was efficient. They were taking better shots, they were working for better shots. Last night, the ball stuck on Eric Bledsoe a lot. I like Eric Bledsoe and what he offers this team. I'm not going to sit here and complain. Oh, maybe the Bucs shouldn't have given him $70 million. I Look, that's just a dumb conversation. If you want to have that down the road, that's fine. But as it pertains to last night, $70 million contracts aside, players aside, the bench just played a better brand of basketball. It was less iso ball. It was more working for the best shot. More efficient shots. Like I said, they shot almost 58%. Malcolm Brogdon was a part of that bench unit, and it'll be interesting to see if at any point Coach Budenholzer tries to get Malcolm Brogdon back into the starting lineup. Now, I, I think the the limited minutes that we saw for Brogdon when he first returned during the Celtics series are, are a thing of the past. Last night, you look at the Bucks' minutes. Well, of course, you, you have the starters like Antetokounmpo, Middleton, and Lopez, who played the majority of the game, 45, 44, and 40 minutes apiece. Now, keep in mind, this game went to double overtime. So those minutes are a little bit inflated. Nikola Mirotic, the fifth starter, who who doesn't play as large of a role, but is a starter, played 29. And Eric Bledsoe played 34. He actually gave way to George Hill, who played 37, but didn't start. And Malcolm Brogdon, who played 37 minutes, but didn't start. Now, I'm not saying that George Hill or, or Malcolm Brogdon are going to overtake Eric Bledsoe in the starting lineup. Eric Bledsoe is... is Eric Bledsoe, he's been great all season. He offers you some athleticism, some bounce into that starting lineup. But Budenholzer preferred the other two guys down the stretch. Played George Hill in overtime. Played him down the stretch because he liked his shooting, because he liked his decision-making. Malcolm Brogdon last night 
regardless of how the starters are playing, regardless of how the team is shooting, delivers basically the same product every night, which is smart basketball, limited amounts of turnovers. He only had two last night, which is which is more than you'd like, but compare that to, to Giannis's eight and Middleton's three and Bledsoe's five. I mean, you, you got to take what you can get on a night where the basketball is being kicked around. Malcolm Brogdon is not going to turn the ball over a whole lot. He also gives you pretty good defense. He's not Chris Middleton on Kawhi Leonard, but he's a solid number two. He gave you two steals last night. And he's going to shoot the ball incredibly well. And when I say well, that's too broad. He, he shoots effectively and efficiently. And those are those are two big pieces. For those of you who, who haven't heard this repeatedly, and, and to some fans it's going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, Malcolm Brogdon joined a very exclusive club this year, and in the regular season he was a 50-40-90 player, which means he shot 50% from the field all season long, he shot 40% from three all season long, and shot above 90% from the free throw line. Now, part of that is he's a really good shooter, but another part of that is he knows which shots he can hit, he takes good shots, and when he has opportunities for a spot-up, uncontested three from a from a, a willing or assisting player, he knocks him down. Last night, Malcolm Brogdon went three of eight from beyond the three-point line. He started like three of four, three of five. He cooled off a little bit as the game went on. Defense tightened up, obviously. But from the field in total, he was eight of 17. He's right above 50%. So it falls within that 50, 40, 90 parameter that we've we've harped on with Malcolm Brogdon all year long. Malcolm Brogdon delivers a consistent, reliable product each and every night, regardless of how the starters are playing. Last night, they shot like 26%. Regardless of how the bench is playing. You know what you're going to get with Malcolm Brogdon. I, I was watching with a couple of friends last night, two of which are huge Bucks fans, and, and one wasn't. Uh, my buddy Joe's a Timberwolves fan. He's a Twins fan. Now, he likes to see the Bucks win. I think Timberwolves fans and Bucks fans, because they're in different conferences and in different divisions. I have no problem wanting to see the Wolves do good when they get into the playoffs. I think, whereas the Twin Cities is a little bit bigger market, we, we have that commonality and that we're not LA or Boston or New York or Houston, right? We, we want to see somebody else in it. We have that in common. I was watching with Joe last night, who's a who's a Twins and a, and a T-Wolves fan, and two players he always talks about. He loves Pat Connaughton and Malcolm Brogdon. He loves Malcolm Brogdon. One of his favorite players in, in the league. Definitely his favorite player on the Bucks. that he says. My friend Joe is the most upfront, abrupt person ever. All right? He's going to tell you how he feels. Like, it, with all of with all of our friends, we'll go say, Joe, man, I'm really I'm really struggling with this. Man, I'm really stressed out. I, I, I got this in my mind. He'll say, dude, suck it up. That's not a big deal at all. He's that kind of friend, right? We all have a friend like that. You all need a friend like that. He, he's not a kind of friend who would blow bubbles up your butt talking about Malcolm Brogdon. He loves Malcolm Brogdon. Because he's such a good spot-up shooter. Because he shoots over 50% from the field. Because he's efficient. He takes good shots. And because he hits his free throws. And he's an underrated driver and finisher. You saw him finish a couple times at the rim. Once wrapping around to beat Kawhi Leonard. Like, like He's got a good finishing package around the rim. All traits that you love. Now, Malcolm Brogdon might not have flashy. He might not be the most hyped uh, backup point guard in the league. That's for sure. Certainly very underrated, but I love what the Bucks get each and every night from Malcolm Brogdon because consistency is so valuable. What are we what are we complaining about today? That Chris Middleton didn't show up, that Eric Bledsoe didn't show up. And look, 
it's their right as a player to have a bad game every once in a while, especially in a rowdy environment, a double overtime game. I'm not holding that against them. Me complimenting Malcolm Brogdon is not an insult to Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe. But what does Malcolm Brogdon never do? He never shoots three of 16, right? He never has eight turnovers like Giannis did last night. He never shoots two of seven from the free throw line like Giannis did, or even four of six like Eric Bledsoe did last night. Now, on his best night, Eric Bledsoe might be more dynamic. He might be a better player. But night in and night out, you are getting a consistent, efficient player in Malcolm Brogdon. You know exactly what you're going to get. And as we talked about with the Brewers starting pitchers, right? Freddie Peralta might have some great zing, but which Freddie Peralta are you going to get? Corbin Burns might have great stuff. He had great stuff in 2018. But in 2019, which version of Corbin Burns are we going to get? Either as a starter or out of the bullpen. When you pay for a player and you give a player a good contract, a big contract, you want to know what kind of product you're getting every night. Charles Barkley told a story on, on uh, Inside the NBA, the postgame show on TNT the other night, uh, about a story with his old coach in Phoenix. And he asked his coach, how, did, how good of a team do you think we're going to have this year? I think we're real great. And the coach said, man, I don't like our team. I don't, think we got, I don't think we got a great chance to do things this year. And Charles asked him why. Because I don't know what I'm getting every night. One night I'll get 30 from this player, and the next night I'll get 10. And everybody's going to say he averages 20, but that's not how it works, right? And I thought, man, that's a good point. When the Bucks hand out big contracts and lock players up and make them a part of the future in Milwaukee, you want to know what you're getting each and every game. You want consistency. And that's what you get in Malcolm Brogdon. So, no, I'm not doing a referendum today on Chris Middleton and saying, should they should they offer him the max contract if that's what it takes after last night? Did not, last night change your mind? Because one game should never change your mind. I don't think this is a time or place to talk about Chris Middleton. All I'm saying, in the grand scheme of things, watching a game last night, it should be a sales pitch and a reason why the Bucs want to retain Malcolm Brogdon in the future, even if it costs a little bit more than they want. Because you know what you're going to get. A couple of weeks ago, I said, look, if I did this job, and some days I rolled in three hours early, and I worked really hard, and I went all out, and I had a great show. But then the next day, I showed up late, and there was dead air at the beginning of my show. The news came on, and then my intro played, and nobody talked. I can't go to my boss and said, well, yeah, remember what happened yesterday? Well, that was a great show. No, that's not how it works. Now, sports aren't real life, so it's a little bit different. If Eric Bledsoe scores 40 one night and 12 the next, sports are a little bit different. But consistency is valuable. Reliability is valuable. Efficiency is valuable. Malcolm Brogdon ain't going three for 16 because if he can't find a shot, he's going to distribute. He's going to get to the rim. He's going to get to the free throw line. Last night, eight of 17, over 50%. He shot three of eight from three, which is pretty good. He got off to an outstanding start shooting three of four. You know exactly what you're going to get. I'm not saying that the Bucs should pay Brogdon and not Middleton. I want them to pay everyone. I love all these players and I think they fit really well. But last night was definitely a case, uh, definitely a, a, a defense case for Malcolm Brogdon and his worth on this team or on whatever team uh, ends up offering him money because, man, oh, man, that's a great investment. That's a, that's a great investment in a, in a player that's going to give you great performances, reliable performances each and every night for the next couple of years. I love Malcolm Brogdon. Hope the Bucks pay him, even if he wants more than, than the Bucs are willing to go. You don't, you don't cheap out on a player like that. He showed his value last night. If the Bucs would have won, I would have led with that today. I would have said Malcolm Brogdon is the reason why they won last night. He wasn't leading score. It was George Hill with 24, but man, oh man, the way Malcolm Brogdon played, give him the money. I want him a part of this Bucks future, absolutely. 
Let's get away from the Bucks. I For those of you who want to talk Brewers, the Brewers are off tonight. They'll be back in action tomorrow here on WKTY. But, but, but let's get into it. We had a fun extra inning game yesterday. We can talk about that. Uh, they had a good weekend series and another great start from Brandon Woodruff. What's new? Let's talk about it. Coming up next, final segment of the Wisco Sports Show on the way here on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Having a ball today, talking Bucks. I know they lost yesterday. I We've covered some good ground today. I do want to talk Brewers. They got the win yesterday. Not the Bucks. So let's focus on the good on our way out the door. They won 3-2 in the 10th inning uh, over the Atlanta Braves. I'm watching yesterday afternoon. And, you know, Sundays, I was home with the family. We had some stuff to do. I had to drive back to lacrosse yesterday to catch the Bucks game. There was a lot going on. It wasn't a boring Tuesday night. It wasn't a rainy Saturday afternoon. Like, I, I got stuff going on. I was ready for the Brewer game to be done. I, I had other things in my mind, okay? I was watching, absolutely. But I'm like, all right, I got to do this today. I got to do this today. We've all been there, right? Even with Packer games. Last year, during the Cardinals game, like, man, I got a library. I got some stuff to do tomorrow. Let's wrap this up. Right. Well, I was I was letting my frustration out on Twitter. If you follow me at Keystroker Grant, you will know I am not a fan of extra inning games, and I will admit it. it even when the Brewers are playing yesterday, it, I believe it was in the seventh inning. It it just started to get that feel, and I'm like, if this game goes to extras, I swear to God, I'm going to lose it. We've had so many extra inning games with the Brewers, and none of them have gone well. And it feels to me that every time. A game goes to extra innings. 99% of the time, of course, there's exceptions. Of course, there's uh, there's instances where this isn't the case. But to me, with the games that I've seen this year, 99% of extra inning games are because of, man, the offense, they just can't, they got their eyes crossed. They got their, their hat pulled over their eyes. Man, they can't hit the ball. Nobody wants to watch more of that. And it got to the point yesterday when it went to extras, the Brewers, it was it in the top of the ninth? It was in the top of the ninth. Where they had runners on the corners, Yasmani Grandal and, and and maybe it was Orlando Arcia. They had runners at the corners with one out, and you couldn't get the ball in. Somebody hit a pop fly, and then Ben Ben Gamble ended up being at the plate. Ball goes to the backstop, flies back to the catcher, and they gun down Grandal at third, who was caught in no man's land. I was like, come on, like it's just that kind of day. Like, the offenses can't get anything done, and the pitching was great. Don't get me wrong. Brandon Woodruff was phenomenal yesterday, with the exception of literally two pitches, which were both hit out for home runs, which is what good teams, good hitters are going to do to you. Even on a pitcher's best day, they're bound to make a mistake here and there, and you can't let those pitches get by. They did not. Roland Acuna hit a bomb, as did Freddie Freeman, uh, and that was ultimately the difference between Brandon Woodruff getting a win and getting a no decision because he left the ball game in a, in a tie game. Right Yesterday, Brandon Woodruff pitching all the way through the eighth inning and then Josh Hader takes the eighth and the ninth. Hader gets the win. Two innings pitch, three strikeouts, no hits, no walks, no earned runs. So you feel good, as a side note, you feel good that Hader was able to close it down because he had struggled at times in this series. But Brandon Woodruff, you're walking away thinking, man, Brandon Woodruff's continuing to roll. Last week, we were we were reminiscing about the offseason and about spring training when we're trying to figure out what's this Brewers starting rotation going to look like. We weren't talking about Brandon Woodruff and Zach Davies, who have been tremendous. We were talking about Corbin Burns. And Yoli Shasin and Freddie Peralta. And Brandon Woodruff, old Woody. 
He doesn't care. He's been great. Brandon Woodruff has been exceptional. He gave you eight innings yesterday, and I know he gave up two runs, but on a day where the Brewers' offense didn't have it, Brewers got three runs, three solo shots. Braves got two runs, two solo shots. It was that kind of day. No one was scoring. It, it, it was good pitching, yeah, but it was also incompetent offense. If Bruce had runners at the corners with one out, you got to find a way in crunch time at the top of the ninth to avoid getting swept on the road over a weekend series. You got to find a way to get that run, and they couldn't do it. Right? Even if it means pinch hitting for Grandal, because you, you think, well, if there's a shallow fly ball, if there's a, a, a fly ball at, at a range where you're not sure, I don't want Grandal there. I, I, want a, I want a fast runner there. More freedom to send him. Like, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Put Manny Pena and let him catch the rest of the game. I Incompetent offense. That's why I hate extra innings. I absolutely despise extra innings. Because 99% of the time, it's because the offenses can't get it figured out. Yeah, good pitching often plays into it. And I know everybody said, oh, nobody appreciates a good pitcher's duel anymore. Nobody appreciates it. Look, I appreciate a good pitcher's duel until it takes three and a half hours and goes to the 14th inning. And we're just waiting for someone to hit a solo home run to win it. Because that's normally what it comes down to. That's what happened last weekend in the Cubs. Wilson Contreras just got a hold of one, hit a solo shot to walk it off. That's all it took. You knew that's how it was going to end. Is one player was going to get lucky, swinging with his eyes closed, and smash one over the fence. And that was ultimately what was going to end it. The Brewers winning yesterday in the 10th. Thankfully, it wasn't dragged out. Thankfully, both teams didn't have to empty their bullpen and their bench and be decimated for this upcoming week. Luckily, it only went 10 innings. The Brewers now... Uh, sit at 28 and 21. Seven games over 500. Like, as much as we've complained, as much uh, as we have wondered how good can this Brewers team be, pitching, offense, bullpen, starters, man, they're seven games over 500. They're in second place at the division. They're right there. And it's only May 20th. Brewers are off tonight. They'll be back tomorrow night, 6.05 pregame, 6.35 or 6.40 first pitch, excuse me, here on WKTY, or over on WIZM, excuse me, the Bucks over here uh, tomorrow night. They have the earlier uh, time slot tomorrow. So the, the the Wisco Sports Show tomorrow, sorry to say, will be shortened. Get ready for Bucks raptors Game 4. And I don't, God, I'm going to sound like a, a cliche idiot. It's, it's a huge game. Because think about the outcomes. Obviously, it's a huge game. It's a playoff game. It's a must-win for both teams. It, it, it goes without saying. But just think of it this way. If the Bucks win, they go up 3-1. to one, And they go back to Milwaukee with a chance to close it out. All right. If the Bucks lose, well, now it's tied 2-2. You tell me. It's a pretty big difference between a 3-1 series and a tied up at 2-2 series. Now, either way, the Bucks currently have home court advantage and they'll get to play those decisive games out at home. But a big opportunity to go up 3-1, and that is a night and day difference from a series that tied at 2-2. Just think about that. All other things aside, home court advantage... Players being healthy, Giannis getting back on track. All that aside, 3-1 or 2-2. That's what's on the line tomorrow, and it's a really big difference. We'll talk about it leading right up until Bucks pregame. Wisco Sports Show tomorrow, same time, same place. Talk to you then.